Hi, Y Weddings family. Today we are chatting budget basics, including how to set priorities for your wedding budget and then actually stick to it. Leah Weinberg is the owner and creative director of Color Pop Events and author of The Wedding Roller Coaster. Her colorful work and party planning tips have been published online and in print with Vogue, The New York Times, People, CNBC, Bravo, Martha Stewart, and The Knot, among others. Recently, Leah has been recognized as a 20 on the Rise winner by HoneyBook and the Rising Tide Society, one of the 25 young event pros to watch by Special Events Magazine, and one of BizBash's top 500 event pros in the U.S. Her favorite part of the wedding is when the couple exchanges their vows. Get ready, hold on, and enjoy my conversation with Leah Weinberg. Welcome to the Why Weddings Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Powell. I am so excited to share insights from leading wedding professionals with you. Tune in each week as we discuss traditions, trends, and tips for the modern couple. Let's plan a wedding. Leah, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. So before we get into today's topic, which we're talking all of the money things and budgets, which I am so excited about because I think it's just something that people just have no clue when it comes to a wedding. But before we do that, why don't you tell us how you got involved in the wedding industry? What made you decide to get involved and party with these big, crazy families and and people? (laughs) My journey is kind of a little different. So I actually started out, my first career was as a commercial real estate attorney. I started working in Atlanta for a couple of years before I moved up to New York City and then was practicing law in New York City. I did not enjoy any minute of being a lawyer and so was just always thinking of different business ideas. I've always kind of felt drawn to being an entrepreneur, being my own boss, having my own business. And so I was brainstorming ideas. I thought about opening up a doggy daycare, maybe doing a dog walking service. I like to say that I came dangerously close to enrolling in pastry school because I thought I wanted to open up a bakery. Fortunately, I have a friend that's a chef who very quickly talked me out of that. And so event planning was honestly just an idea that came just came to me. And I felt like it was a really good fit for my strengths in terms of organization and project management and attention to detail. And then it also offered a creative outlet that I was sorely lacking as an attorney. And it was just this idea that I had, honestly, for like a few years, probably two or three years, I had been kind of marinating on this idea and and thinking about it. And then in 2012, I planned my own wedding. I like to say, I make sure to say that I did hire a month of coordinator because I do know better, but basically kind of planned and designed my whole wedding uh, and found the process easy and fun. And I know that is not most people's reaction to planning a wedding. Right. And so I was like, okay, I think I want to, I think I want to try to do this. So I was still working full time as an attorney. So my, my, just clarify timeline, my wedding was August, 2012. And I was still working full time as an attorney had actually just started a new job after the wedding and was just slowly getting the business off the ground for about a year. 
My first official wedding as ColourPop was October 2013. I quit my full-time job in summer of 2014 and worked part-time for a firm for about another year and a half. And then end of January 2016, I said goodbye to the legal world um, and went full-time with ColourPop events. And here I am today. That's amazing. I think it's so funny because when I was in school and they would give you the aptitude tests of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Lawyer was always on my list of of jobs that I was like, oh yeah, I would totally want to do that. And as I got older, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and takes a very particular type of person to like actually kind of thrive and enjoy that environment. Yeah, it definitely, as I learned more about it, it I don't like I don't particularly love writing. I may or may not have failed my creative writing class in high school. Um, and and so it was like a lot of writing and not very much of a creative outlet. And I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm out. So yeah, yeah. So I, I love that as a creative, you were like, yeah, it's just not really fulfilling my creative bucket. It really wasn't. And it's just, I mean, at the heart of being an attorney, whether you're a transactional attorney or whether you're a litigator and you're in court, the heart of it is conflict. Um, And I don't like, I don't love conflict. Um, Some people do, which is why I think there are certain people who thrive in that environment. But I don't love conflict. um, And I just don't like that kind of negative energy. And it was just really, really draining on me. Yeah. Well, and and weddings are the exact opposite. It's all about bringing people together and happiness and joy and and yes, not conflict. At least you hope there's no conflict with right. There is sometimes conflict, but not as not as much. Um, but I will say it is it's a very similar skill set. I know a lot of yes. people hear that I went from attorney to wedding planner, and they're like, "Oh, that was a complete." 180 and I'm like it's almost the identical skill set in just a separate context which is kind of great like yeah yeah it really is well and I just laugh because you know the conflict at weddings is uh table linen colors and floral arrangements which I mean if you're gonna argue about something that's kind of a a frivolous fun one to argue about but I, I think one of the ways this was actually such a great segue because I think one of the ways that you can help avoid conflict when planning your wedding is by having a clearly defined budget. And so besides trying to avoid conflict, why should couples come up with a budget for their wedding? There's a lot of reasons. I think the big kind of practical reason is that you really can't do much wedding planning without one. It's kind of like you can't start wedding planning until you have a ven- like you have a venue because you can't just call photographers you like and say, "Hey, I really like you. Can I get your pricing?" but not have an actually not know a date to be able to tell them that you want to have your wedding. And so with budgets it's kind of the same thing because you don't know how much you have to spend, so what venues you can even start looking at, what vendors you might be interested in, how many people you can even afford to have and you know whether there's that balance of like maybe spending more on a venue and having a smaller guest count, or if you have a large family and lots of friends and need a bigger guest count, maybe you're, you know, making sure that you're going with a venue that fits better with that, like proportionate with your guest count. But yeah, you really can't do much until you know how much you have to spend. And it's, you know, small amounts, big amounts, because 
even if for people that are like, you know, oh, we quote, don't have a budget. It's Mm -hmm. like, but yes, you still kind of do. And especially for me as a planner, like, I don't know what to show you until you kind of give me an idea of how much you want to spend. I I was talking to uh, another vendor. It might've even been for another episode of this. And they go, whenever I have a client that tells me, oh, I don't have a budget, I go, great. So we're going to spend a million dollars on your wedding. And they go, oh, oh, no, 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 that's, no, we're not. And they go, oh, so you do have a budget. But (laughs) so I, I, I love that because everybody has a budget, whether it's big or small, we all are working within constraints of how much disposable income we feel comfortable dedicating to this event. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's about having conversations and communication in order to figure out, you know, what that number is. Um, the other thing that budgets are really handy for is helping you not make emotional decisions when it comes to spending money. Like I always tell my clients that you've written this budget. This budget comes at the beginning of your planning process, like before there's a lot of emotions involved, before you're caught up in the excitement and all that stuff. And it's a very level-headed representation of where you were at when you made that budget. And so it's like, it can be your North star. You just always go back to it. So like, not that my, I I don't know if I've ever had clients with an ice sculpture, but like, let's say you're thinking about adding an ice sculpture at the very end and it's going to put you like $2,000 over your budget. You go, but you're like, Oh, but I really want that ice sculpture. But you go back to your budget and you're like, this is going to put us over, you know, we very thoughtfully crafted this budget at the beginning to help guide us through the process. So like, let's not, let's not spend emotionally or spend with our hearts. Let's kind of go back and like recenter ourselves on what we, what we did when we were level headed. That is so true. I mean, I was going to say, what are some of the most like emotional decisions that you have seen people make with regards to their wedding budget? I think a lot ends up being with like decor, decor items and kind of extras. So whether it's, um, you know, increasing the floral budget, because maybe some people, I mean, some people do it just because they're like, I want to do what I want more. Other people get a little nervous that like maybe the venue is going to look sparse. So they're like, oh, how much would a little like a greenery installation over the dance floor cost? This was one of my favorite stories. It was so adorable. I had this couple, um, she's like one of my most colorful brides and she and her now husband, but then fiance were thinking about bringing in a barista to make espresso coffee drinks, you know, during the dessert time, which generally is like maybe two hours during the evening, like after dinner's been served. And it was about 2000, maybe $2,500 in New York city to bring somebody in. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know if that's such a great use of your money. And then the bride actually told me about this dream that she had about, the disco ball over her dance floor having a flower crown. And so they had the money. They wanted to spend the money. You know, I obviously asked them the questions to do the gut check and make sure they were okay spending it. And they wanted to spend it. And so I kind of guided them in that situation. But I think you will get more value using that money to like create this plot. Like it was a floral installation, like surrounding the disco ball. And I'm like, how cool is that? That you had a dream about it and you can make it happen versus spending, you know, instead of spending two grand on a barista. Right. Well, and I think those are the things that one question to ask for couples is 
what kind of impact is this going to have? Because if you have guests that aren't big coffee drinkers or don't really care, having a barista there isn't going to mean anything. But they're all going to yeah. look up at that disco ball with a flower crown and go, okay, that's cool. That's, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I mean, it can kind of come up when you're thinking about what you're going to do for the ceremony, you know, whether it's spending money on live musicians or creating, a like adding a lot of florals and more decor to that or kind of splurging it on cocktail hour for like a lot of food or, you know, a just out of this world food station. And you got to think like, for ceremony time from guest arrival to the end of your ceremony, it's an hour that your guests are spending there. Cocktail hour is an hour that your guests are spending there. So if you're really trying to maximize value, spend that money during the like dinner and dancing portion where your guests will get to experience it for longer. That's great. Great advice. Um, one other thing that I think is important and Tell me if I'm wrong, but like when you're crafting your budget, you need to have all of the information from all of the parties that could potentially be contributing to that budget. And there's a lot of different yeah. ways that people want to contribute to the budget. Some of them will say, nope, I'm going to handle the flowers and I will pay for them because I'm picking, I want to pick the florist and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Others I know are like, Hey, here's a check for 10 grand. Do with it what you will. So, yeah. How do you navigate those conversations traditionally with parents, but could be other family members and stuff like that? How do you navigate those conversations early on so that you have the most complete picture of what your budget looks like? Yeah. So, I think the first thing to acknowledge there is that this is going to these are going to be uncomfortable conversations. It's going to be a little awkward. It's never super pleasant to have to like talk to somebody that's like just blatantly about money but you do number one you've got to know again going back you have to have the dollar amount you have to know how much these people are going to give you so like if your parents are like oh we're happy to pay for the wedding your parents might not have any idea what a wedding in your location costs so they might have one number in their head and it might not cover like half of the wedding, or maybe even just half of what it was you were envisioning for yourself as well. So you have to start out and you have to get the number. There are plenty of polite ways to have the conversation and say, thank you so much. We are so grateful that you want to contribute to the wedding. You know, we're currently working on our budget and it's kind of all about the number. So it would be helpful for us to know how much you're able to contribute so that we can plan accordingly. And so that way you get the numbers from those folks. And then the second half of that conversation is asking them what their expectations are in return for giving you that money. So like you said, whether it's just a blank check and they're like, here's 10 grand, go spend it however you want. We don't, we don't need to have any input. Um, on the flip side of that, it might be parents that are like, we want to pay for your caterer. So we want to make sure that like we're involved, you know, we'll take, you know, we'll follow your lead on who you're interested in, but we want to be part of the tastings just to kind of because food is important to us and we want to be involved in part of that process. So you essentially have to ask them what strings are attached to the money that they're giving you. And then you and your partner have to decide, are you okay with those strings? Because let's say in the example that you gave, if somebody's contributing money for the florist and wants 
to actually like handle the selection of the florist and be very involved in the design, if flowers are something that's really important to you and your partner and you have a very unique specific vision, you may want to opt not to accept that contribution because you need to maintain, you need to maintain control over that particular element of your wedding. Definitely. Well, and I see it so many times as the photographer, because I'm there all day long, you get to see all of the behind the scenes and the conversations and the brides that are like, that wasn't what we agreed on. I remember we had a bride once, the wedding planner told the, she had a string quartet playing for the ceremony. And I don't know how, but the string quartet got told the wrong songs for the processional, for the ceremony. And I don't know if it was a, just a mix up or if like, I have no idea how that happened, but it happened. And to hear, you know, in the background of them being like, that's something that they now had to deal with on their wedding day that they never should have had to deal with on their wedding day. And, and so I think it's always, especially when you're talking money, there are always strings attached. Always. Doesn't matter how you get your money, there are always strings attached. If you're working for somebody, if you're working for yourself, like there's always give and take. And so I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind when you're asking other people who may be contributing to your wedding, that there are expectations with that money. I think it's also just really good practice for you and your partner to have those money conversations because for the rest of your life, you will be having money conversations as a couple. Yeah, for sure. And they're not particularly fun. And for a lot of people, I admit for me included, money is my number one stressor in life. And so it's always been kind of a hot button issue and you just have to learn how to talk about it. Like communication is key. In so many things, you just have to make sure you put it out on the, get it all out on the table and discuss it. I love that. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. Subscribe to Why Weddings, Traditions, Trends, and Tips for the Modern Couple on Stitcher Radio, Google and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're currently listening so you never miss an episode. Now, back to the show. So we've talked a little bit about why it's important to have these conversations and kind of how to approach them amongst people who might be contributing to your wedding. But do you have any tips for how you as a couple can navigate these conversations and really start to put your budget together and make sure that everybody gets what's important to them? I mean, today's couples look very different than they did 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. I mean, I remember when I started in the industry, it was very much still, it's the bride's day and the groom's just showing up to, you know, to say I do and have a party. Um, but with the, the legalization of same-sex marriage and, and just the traditions and the change in traditional roles, I have noticed a huge uptick in my groom's being super involved, or if it is a same-sex wedding, the couple together are making these decisions. So how do you navigate making sure that everybody gets what they want and what they envision for their wedding day as a couple? 
Yeah, that's something that couples need to talk about very early on when they get engaged. Um, there's there are questions like essentially discussion questions to ask amongst you and your partner, which involves kind of everything from like you know what are your views on marriage, what does marriage mean to you, what's imp- you know are you what's more important to you the actual legal legally getting married or having the celebration. I shouldn't say more important. But I should say, like, because obviously, like, being legally married is very important. Hopefully, the celebration is not more important. But whether, in addition to being legally married, having that celebration is very important to you, or whether it's not, and, like, just getting married at the courthouse is something that you want, you know, being open and honest about past baggage that you're carrying from relationships that may impact this, and just, again, talking it out and putting it all out on the table and being vulnerable with each other about what you want the wedding to feel like, how you want to feel emotionally on the day, what you want this process to be about, what you want the wedding to represent, because that way then the two of you know what the other is expecting. I always say that like people are not mind readers and even though you feel like you might you expect somebody to know you intimately, they still can't read your mind and they may not know your deepest, darkest thoughts on marriage because it may just not have come up. So use use that moment of getting engaged to spur and spark these conversations about what marriage means to you as the starting point, because the two of you should be on the same page about what it's going to look like, what you want it to feel like. Um, You know, again, also too, just practical stuff, like where you want it to be, how many people you want to invite. And so that is definitely what should happen before you get even into the the money conversation. Oh, hundred percent agree. I, I can remember when I was dating my husband, when I kind of had an inkling that, okay, this might be my person that I want to marry. I, I actually started having those conversations even then of like, because he was previously married and he has two children from that relationship. And so we had a lot of conversations of like, what, what does my role in that family look like? What do you expect me to do? Do you expect me to stay at home How much do we have the kids? Do you expect me if you're working and on a time when we have them that I parent? Like, so we had a lot of conversations around that, but just generally, what does our life married look like? Recognizing that it ebbs and flows and that there's different seasons to life. But I wanted to make sure that if I said yes to this situation, I said yes with my eyes wide open and I knew exactly what the expectation was and that way I could make an informed decision that way. Because if he was like, and granted his children are older, but if we had like a three and a five-year-old and he's like, oh, you're basically going to be mom and we have him 50% of the time and you got to drive him to school and you got to do parent-teacher conferences. I don't know that I could have done that. Yeah, that's a whole different (laughs) ballgame. Right, and that might have been a deal breaker. But I think about even couples that are being married for the first time together, you know, things like gender roles. What, what's your expectation of when we get married? Do I still work outside the home? Do I work in the home? Do I not work at all? Do you want, like, what does, what's your expectation of marriage for, for us and coming? And I think those are conversations that you should be having long before you even get engaged. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, if you haven't, yeah, start. 
start when yeah, you're Yeah, I mean, the, the kids, like, just even the kids talk because, I mean, I've seen, obviously, there's plenty of, like, examples of, of fictional characters in TV and movies that fail to, like, have the kids talk early on, and then you get to the point, and then it's just major conflict. I personally have, um, for a very long time, known that I am not interested in being a mom, and so when my husband and I started dating, pretty early on I think in that relationship like we had that conversation because I knew that it was not something that I was like at all wishy-washy on there was not going to be a chance of me changing my mind and it was just kind of like that's my deal breaker and we need to make sure that we put that all out on the table um unfortunately he was of the exact same opinion but I mean I've seen it happen in in my friendship too people that And maybe even they had the conversation, but then people change and then they're on different pages and then that ends up to, you know, ending the relationship. Like it's, that's just one of the big talks. And then even part of that. So like, let's say you're on the same page about having kids, how many kids, you know, if you are, you know, even if you're the same religion or different religions, are you going to raise them with some kind of religion in their lives? Like, like you said, who's going to take, who's going to be caretaker? How do you split those kinds of roles and stuff. Um, so many conversations to have. Like you just, I'm an, I'm an over communicator. Yes. I really like to just get it all out on the table. Um, sometimes my timing is really unfortunate as my husband <laughs> will tell you, but I like to just get it all out there because number one, if you're holding stuff inside, that's going to build up and lead you to not feel great. But then also like these are important conversations to make sure that you and your partner are, are on the same page when it comes to these really big, important things. Right. Well, and I think it's just such a great reminder or a great practice, rather, that you start doing these before you get married. Because all of a sudden, marriage, whether you've been living with each other prior to being married or you're moving in together for the first time, there's just a lot of emotion surrounding a wedding and surrounding marriage. And so having these conversations now sets that precedent for your relationship moving forward. And I mean, it doesn't have to be this really hard, heavy thing. Like I, I'm in the same boat with you, Leah. I am not like, I hate talking about money. I hate talking about the bills and what's coming in. Actually, I like what's coming in a lot more than what's going out, (laughs) but, but it's still like, And since my husband and I, we own our own businesses and we work together in those businesses, we're business partners and life partners and we're constantly having really hard conversations. And so I think setting that precedent and money tends to be just kind of a universal, universally difficult conversation to have, um, as far as, you know, what do you bring in and what do you make and what do you feel comfortable spending and, and understanding that everybody has different things. And and so setting those money rules early, I think, has long-lasting effects to having a successful marriage in the long run. Yep, absolutely. One of the best pieces of advice I got when planning my wedding, and granted, I worked in the industry. I knew I knew lots of people. I This was not me starting from square one. Like I knew how much a wedding cost and all of that. But with that being the case, I asked my husband to write down like his top three things that were important to him on the wedding day. And I did the same. 
and I wrote down, you know, what are the top three things that I, that are important to me on the wedding day, whether those are vendors, a way that I felt, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then we made sure that at least the top one of each of our list was incorporated. So for me, being a photographer, I was super, like pictures were, like there was nothing even close second <laughs> to my pictures. I, I had to have amazing wedding photos. My husband being a DJ and master of ceremonies, our first dance was really important to him. Mm. And he wanted that moment. And so we didn't have a huge wedding, but both of those things were accomplished because we understood that I don't care what we eat. I don't care how many people are there. Like there are some people that I care about, but I don't need a 300 person wedding. But those two things were important to us. And so we made sure that those were included in our wedding day. Yeah, for sure. And there was something that you said that sparked another I, another point that I wanted to make sure that we hit, which is about understanding and knowing what things cost. Um, because you worked in the industry, so you definitely had, a, had an advantage there when it came to understanding that. But this is something that I talk about a lot because it's a big pet peeve of mine, which is, unfortunately, all of these articles and websites that say that they can give you what to expect to send for your wedding by location. None of them are particularly accurate. Um, they're just not because for a lot of reasons, number, I mean, well, not a lot of reasons, the big reason, the big reason is that even within an area, like even within a New York city or a smaller town, you can have weddings at any price point that you could possibly imagine. People get married in New York city for 10,000, 15,000, 25,000. Some people spend 100, 200,000. People are spending over a million dollars. So how on earth can you pub publicly give numbers as to what somebody in New York City, for example, can expect to pay? Because it's like, what level of, you know, spending are you looking at? And so number one, if you can afford to hire a wedding planner, hire a wedding planner because they are going to know based on your budget, and they're going to be able to give you a, a realistic budget and tell you exactly how much you can expect to spend on things. And if you don't have a wedding planner, unfortunately, I recommend you doing a lot of legwork before you set the budget, before you get deep into wedding planning so that you can have an expectation of what things cost. Um, like that venue that you've been eyeing on Instagram or that you've seen on all the blogs, like, is that, a, is that an achievable venue for you? You've got to know in advance. And so I highly recommend that if couples don't have a planner or if they don't have somebody in their area that's recently gotten married just so that they can have, you know, realistic figures from, that they really kind of spend some time doing that research to really understand what a wedding is going to cost them. Amen. Like, just amen to that. Well, and I think you have to remember, too, for couples that your parents who, if you're the first one in your family or stuff like that, the last time your parents got, or not the last time, hopefully the only time your parents got married, um, they, they were married 20, maybe 30, 40 years ago. And costs are so different than what they were back then. I, I hear from moms frequently. They're like, well, my photographer didn't cost that. And I'm like, yeah, it's a different world. 
you also got, I mean, I look at my grandparents' wedding album. My grandparents have 10 pictures from their wedding album, from their wedding. And they have every, like, important thing. They have a picture of the ceremony. They have pictures of parents. Like, they have all of the important pictures, but they have, like, 10 pictures, and that's it. And yet today's couple really wants a grand kind of, they want a hundred, two hundred, a thousand pictures from right. their wedding. And so you have to understand that things have changed. So it is a lot of legwork if you're not hiring a wedding planner. And some couples have that energy and other couples don't have that energy. And that is okay. Yeah, I mean, I think an easy sort of shortcut way to do it is to, you know, notice, I'm sure like once your people are engaged and sometimes even before they get engaged, they start following either vendors or venues on Instagram or social media or looking on blogs and a really kind of quick and dirty way to just get some raw information is to sort of like find a wedding that you feel like is what you kind of want. And just reach out to the handful of people that worked on that venue so or uh, worked on that wedding. So mm-hmm. reach out to the venue and find out their rental fee. Reach out to the photographer. And you can just explain. I mean, it's an easy way to phrase it. Some people might, you know, keep, might feel uncomfortable, like, cold emailing somebody without a date. But I feel like if you phrase it as, hey, I'm recently engaged. I want to make an effort to make sure I'm putting together a realistic budget for myself. I really love your work and I was just curious if you could give me a sense of what your pricing looks like so that I can accurately budget. And I frankly think that like vendors are going to really appreciate that honesty and that you, you are making an effort to come up with a realistic budget so that you're not wasting anybody's time. Well, and I think with that as well, having an idea of what you want your wedding to look like. So like from the photographer standpoint, if you know that you want your photographer from like the moment you wake up until you drop off the dance floor at the end of the night, because we will get back there, um, that you say, you know, I want full day coverage or I only need four hours of coverage or we're just eloping or kind of a thing, having those conversations and having a clear idea of what your expectation for your wedding is, because I'll get emails like that as a photographer and they go, hey, so we're just like shopping right now. We want to make sure that we we have the most up-to-date information, all of that kind of stuff. They're like, can you send me your pricing? And I go, well, there's a lot of factors that go into my pricing. So give me just a little bit more information. Like, I don't need you to tell me everything, but do you want an engagement session? Do you want a bridal session? Do, like, are you expecting an album? Like all of those things play into cost that, and same thing I'm sure with any venue or any vendor, you know, for a caterer, how many people roughly are you expecting? What kind of food are you, do you want? Do you want us to just put out like charcuterie boards and desserts and call it good? Or are we doing a three course meal? So those things do play a part in what the budget is and so it's it sounds to me like it's kind of cyclical in planning like you kind of have to (laughs) know what you want to get the prices but that might not be your budget and and I think the other thing too is just to know like if you find a vendor that you just absolutely 
you're like, I don't care. I have to have this vendor. Then know what that vendor costs and know that you're probably going to have to scrimp some other places to make your budget work. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So another tip in terms of, like you just mentioned, in terms of budget is prioritizing. So again, going back to those early conversations to figure out what is most important to you and your partner will help you figure out the best way to allocate your money. Because if you care a ton about food and aren't really that into music, you're going to want to splurge on your caterer and maybe care less, not care less about a DJ, but prioritize less the DJ portion. Or if you want amazing photos, but aren't really, you don't like you don't care what you really eat, then you're going to want to spend, uh, allocate within that budget more money to your photographer than your caterer. So it, it's a balancing thing. I mean, people can have the same total budget number and still spend it very differently. So somebody yes. might have a significantly more expensive photographer um, while the other person spent significantly more on food. So it's all about priorities and making sure that the way you've allocated the money within your budget reflects that. I love that. And it can be very difficult, especially with planning a wedding, because there are has the tendency to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen of what's important to people. And so you have moms, not so much dads. Occasionally I'll get a dad that is super involved, but usually moms and grandma and aunts and your cousin that just got married and did it the right way and <laughs> and all of that. So do you have any tips on kind of treading those conversations and having helping couples really take ownership of their weddings and their budgets. Yeah. In those situations, it's a lot about setting boundaries. So kind of talking amongst yourselves and determining, okay, whose opinion do we value? Whose opinion are we going to allow to play a role within the wedding um you know maybe you want the parents to be very involved but you want the siblings to butt out vice versa um and again difficult conversations to have but conversations that need to be had and i'm a big proponent of making sure that you're not alienating anybody in the planning process so like let's say your mom and dad really want to be involved, but you and your partner just planning something very small and intimate, like your parents want you to have a 200 person thing. You want like 25 in that moment, you know, you have to have the conversation with your parents to say like, this is what we're planning. You know, it it especially helps if you're self-funding because then you don't have those aforementioned strings attached to things, but say to your parents, like, this is what we're planning because this is what they want, what we want but figure out a way to involve them in the process somehow. So whether it's, you know, and it's going to depend on how they want to be involved, but whether it's like scheduling calls every couple of weeks, a regular call every couple of weeks with them say, Hey, you know, we're going to chat every Thursday night at seven o'clock and we're going to give you all the updates on the wedding so that you can feel involved or whether it's bringing them in for particular vendors, like, coming to the cake tasting or going with you to buy a tire or doing the catering tasting or the floral design meeting, just finding some way to keep them involved because I don't want you just because you aren't listening to their opinions or bringing their opinions in. I don't want you to alienate those people. I want to make sure that you are preserving those relationships with folks and remembering that 
at the end of the day, they're just super excited for you. And sometimes that enthusiasm might feel overbearing or micromanaging, but like it's coming from a place because they love you because they're, because they're super excited. So figure out what your boundaries are, make sure you communicate them and then make sure you enforce them um, while, and then make sure that you are still like figuring out a way to keep, make that person still feel important and acknowledged and involved in the process. Oh, I love that. Because really at the end of the day, a wedding is about people coming together. And so I would hate for anybody to strain or ruin a relationship over such a joyous, happy moment. And I know that it happens. I know that, you know, it's not always over budget, can be over a myriad of things, but really weddings are supposed to be a time when people are coming together and those relationships are strengthening and, and bonding. And so that's great advice for our couples. Yeah. And, and, you know, there might be some things that you're like, yeah, I really don't care. So mom have, have at it. And, exactly. And I think finding, finding those, those moments to help people feel included because like you said, they are, they're just excited and they just want to be part of the conversation. They want to be part of the excitement. There's something exciting about a wedding. So they just want to be involved and, and helpful. Yep. Um, so I, I love that. Any like do nots when it comes to doing your budget. Is there anything that couples should really steer away from when trying to put their budget together? Do not agree to spend more than you actually feel comfortable spending um, or frankly that you can afford to spend. So I am not, I'm not a big fan of going into debt to pay for your wedding. Um, I just don't, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think that's the best way to like start off the rest of your life together. My advice is always if you can't afford the wedding that you really want now in, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, whatever length of time it takes you to save up the money or to have the money to have the celebration. There's nothing to say you can't have a badass anniversary party down the road. So like, don't go into debt and spend money that you don't have on something because like your wedding doesn't, it's not the end all be all. It's not the happiest day of your life or the most important day of your life. Like just do what you can for now and save the big stuff for later if need be. So the second part of that is to make sure that what you're spending is an amount that you are comfortable spending because you don't want to kind of stretch yourselves or overextend yourselves because then you're going to feel that stress every second of your planning process. And every time you send a contract or send a check or send a payment, it's just, you're going to feel cringy and it's not going to feel good. So make sure that what you are spending is in your comfort level, is in your family's comfort level too. Like you don't obviously don't want them giving you more than they have to spend or overextending themselves. And something that I see a good bit with my couples is sometimes they'll come to me and say, hey, we have X amount of dollars to spend, but we would honestly prefer not to spend it all. So whether it's they want to keep the little bit extra to be able to, like if somebody's contributing and there's going to be extra, maybe they want to save that for, a down payment on a home or some other kind of expense or whether it's just like, you know, our parents are being gracious enough to give us this much money or we have this much money in savings, but we would just really rather not spend it because we don't want to feel exorbitant on our wedding day. So that is definitely something to keep in mind too, is that you don't have to spend every dollar that's available to you. 
Well, and I've seen a lot of that with COVID in the last year of couples who are scaling back their their celebrations um, just because the world shut down and people, you know, lost jobs, they lost hours, they, it was a very uncertain kind of time. And so there is some security in having savings or that kind of stuff. And I'm seeing a lot of couples go, okay, what are like the two or three things that are really important to us and everything else is not, and that's okay. And so I, I love that. I, you do have to be comfortable with what you're spending and, and that's a great, great piece of advice for, for couples. And yeah, it's kind of like buying a house. Mm-hmm. Like when you figure out how much you're going to spend and how much of a mortgage you're going to take out. If like, if every month you're like, Oh, this is so much money. And it's like, Oh, we're relying on X amount of dollars coming in. Like that's going to be brutal every single month to have to do that whenever you pay something. So it's like, Figure out what level you're comfortable with and just make sure that like you aren't going to like squirm every time you are spending money. Well, and if you have a longer engagement, which I think the average is like 12 to 18 months now and for an engagement, talk to your vendors because you may not feel comfortable throwing down, you know, $6,000 on your photographer all in one shot. But over the year, you're like, oh, yeah, I could make a $500 payment every month, and it's not a big deal for our overall budget. That prompted the other thought that I had while you were talking is get creative with your wedding. So typically, weekdays are cheaper. If you're not married to a specific date because it's like, oh, we had our first date on And so it will be however many years to the day from when we met and it's sentimental or whatever that reason for picking that date is. If you're not married to the date, then some of these other days of the week can be really cost effective and help your your dollar go further than if you're planning a Saturday wedding in August or June, whatever date, whatever month. In our market, it's September. September is the like craziest month in our market. Oh, yeah. But yep. <laughs> but whatever month it is, because those are premium dates. Vendors know that a Saturday in September, chances are they're going to get booked at their, their top dollar because everybody wants it. So if you're like, ah, let's get married on a Thursday or and take a long weekend or there are things that you can do to make your dollar go further and stretch that budget a little bit without overspending or having to be exorbitant in your budget for your wedding. Totally. Last thing here, you just had a book come out to help couples navigate all of these touchy conversations that they they should be having before they get married. So tell us about your book. Yes. So I wrote a book. It is called The Wedding Roller Coaster. It's about navigating the ups and downs of wedding planning while keeping your relationships intact. It is available for purchase on Amazon, both digitally and in paperback form. But I wrote this book for engaged couples to, to do a lot of things, frankly. Number one, to help them prepare for the emotional side of wedding planning. Because I don't think we talk about that enough. So talking about like 
having these uncomfortable conversations, how to navigate, how to even phrase uncomfortable conversations, how to deal with stress and anxiety, um, how to notice behaviors in yourself and others that will help you kind of get some insight onto what's actually going on. Because a lot of times, if there's conflict, what people are saying they're upset about is not actually the thing that they're upset about. So if you can keep an eye out for certain things and like these little clues, you'll be able to kind of recognize behavior and understand stuff and not take things so personally. Um, but the book talks a lot about what we talked about today. So starting with that inner work and what exercises you and your partner can do to get on the same page about the wedding, how, what the big uncomfortable talks are. So like the kids talk, um, I talk about name changes, um, division of labor when it comes to planning the wedding itself, um, crafting a wedding that feels like the two of you. We get into practical stuff, even more detail about budget as we talked about today, picking your vendors. And that's just the first part of the book. And then we go into all the emotional stuff of anger and stress and anxiety and grief and sadness and loss and mourning and just all this stuff. And then the last part of the book talks about family relationships, relationships with your wedding party, and um, just kind of fun stories about guests behaving badly because <laughs> we all have so many of those. Um but what's actually behind some of this bad, like, I don't want to say bad behavior because I don't want to judge stuff as good or bad, but unusual behavior from guests. What's behind it a lot of times is actually entitlement. So by virtue of somebody being a wedding guest, there is this feeling of entitlement to certain rewards and services and things by virtue of that title that's not necessarily, you know, they didn't do anything to really earn what they're expecting. So that's kind of where a lot of that comes from. But yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really helpful for couples. It really fills a gap in the market in terms of wedding planning books because there's plenty of how-to guides out there. There's plenty of books that, you know, talk about like making the day your own and don't worry about anybody else. And this fits kind of nicely in the middle because it gives you some practical information, but also talks a lot about how to enjoy the wedding planning process, making sure that, um, it's a healthy one for you, for your partner, for your family, for everybody involved. Oh, I'm so excited. I am so excited about that. <laughs> <clears throat> I did, right at the beginning of COVID, we released an episode called Why You Should Mourn Your Wedding. And mm. and we talked about, because so many couples were having things canceled on them and they were having to reschedule and plans weren't going according accordingly. And so we did a whole episode on why you should mourn your wedding. And as we were putting that episode together, I went, everybody should mourn like their first version of their wedding because I have yet to see one person who went, yep, this is what the wedding is that I dreamed of since I was five years old. And it came out to perfection and we executed it perfectly and there were no hiccups and no problems and I didn't have to fudge on anything or give on anything it just doesn't exist. And so I love that the book talks about grief and mourning and sadness in addition to all of the happy excitement that comes. On topic, but off topic, I think one thing that we don't talk about, people so often when they're getting married, they are supposed to be excited. It's supposed to be a happy time and an exciting time. And oh my gosh, you're starting a new chapter and society 
tells us that this should be a joyous moment. And it should be. You you should be excited that you're getting married to this person. If you're not even a little bit excited about it, that's a different conversation. But to have the realization and go through the mourning process because you are leaving part of your life behind. There are things that you did as somebody that was single or just dating somebody that may not fly in a marriage relationship. And that can be hard for people. That can be hard to navigate that new life that you have. And it's okay to be upset about it and kind of sad about it. I I remember somebody once told me that you are losing a part of your former life by moving forward. And one of the best validating things somebody told me what when I was engaged was it's okay to be sad that you're moving forward in life, that there's going to be change, that things aren't going to be the same that they were before. And that's okay to say, oh, I'm really going to miss this part of my life. But dealing with that, and that's why I say, I mean, you should be excited to be moving forward. If you're not excited about that, different conversation. But you're, you're entitled and allowed to have those feelings of, oh, this part of me isn't ever, go- I'm never going to get that back. I'm never going to be able to just pick up and travel to Europe by myself or go to see the Northern Lights or whatever those things are that you want. You can, you may be able to do them with your significant other at that por- part point, or you may be able to do it by yourself but you still have to have that conversation with somebody now. It's not just you. And so I exactly. love I love that in the book you do talk about some of those negative emotions that come with just change in life. And they come with any big change, whether it's the change of a job, change of relationship status, family status. It all happens and they're they're valid and real emotions that that people feel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I talk about everything from, you know, you as the person getting married, grief and mourning and closing the chapters. You just mentioned, you know, sometimes family views the wedding as loss of the family member too, because their relationship with that person changes now that they've got another, their significant other that's going to be in the picture. Um, and then we also, you know, like we don't talk enough about what happens when people are missing family, best friends whether they've passed away and aren't at the wedding, whether they're estranged, um, just all sorts of, there's a lot of things. And one of the people that I actually interviewed for the book, her name's Mira Mohan Graham. Um, she is a former wedding photographer and now like a wedding planning coach and advocate and sort of counselor. And she has some really beautiful thoughts on grief um, and how she talks about it with her clients that I've shared in the book. So um, it's just really great information and you know we're communicators we like to get it out on the table so like let's talk about all this stuff let's talk about all the all the hard stuff the good stuff the bad stuff um because it's all part of it it's all part of this wedding planning process um and I want couples I feel like it would be very helpful for them to know that going in (laughs) I couldn't agree more and it is perfect that the book is called the wedding roller coaster because it really is a roller coaster of emotions and my husband now will attest to the fact that in the wedding planning process, I would be totally fine. And all of a sudden I would just be like, 
I can't do this and let's just elope. And I think every couple at least once in the planning process goes, that's it. I'm done. Let's just go get married. Let's just go to the courthouse. I can't take it anymore. And that's a very normal and real emotion to have. Absolutely. I will say I don't think I had that, which is why I'm a wedding planner. Um, but it is, for the majority of people, a very normal reaction to that. Yes. That's, that's why you became a wedding planner. Because, well, that's why I became a wedding photographer. Because I photographed a wedding. It was 15 degrees outside. And I went, that was so much fun. I want to do yeah. that every week. So, <laughs> so we all have our things. But, yeah, I... I love that the book talks about the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the fun, because there's a lot of fun in getting married mm -hmm. as well. There's a lot of fun. So I am so grateful that you were on today, that you shared all of these nuggets with us. Great conversation to be having and, and really for couples to start. And if you're already in the planning process, it's not too late to adjust and look at what you've already spent and go, okay, what can we still afford to spend? It's never too late to talk about the money side of things. So I yeah. thank you so much for being on today. Before I let you go, where can everybody find you, follow you? We'll definitely link the book in the show notes. So if you guys want to buy the book, go to our blog and it will be linked on this episode's uh, blog post. But where else can everybody find you and follow along and see all the amazing things you're doing? Yes, uh, I am at ColourPop Events on all social media. Um, so Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, although I don't use that very often. Um, I'm at ColourPop Events. And then my website is ColourPopEvents.com. So I'm very easy to find. Um, Give me a follow. If you have any follow-up questions too, feel free to message me, send me an email. I'm happy to continue the conversation. I hope that you all will pick up a copy of the book. Um, and this has been such an amazing conversation. We, Like you said, we covered some really good nuggets and gems today. So um, I hope people really love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And yes, definitely you guys will want to run out and get a copy of this book because at least for me, I look at it and I go, whether you're engaged or you're already married, it sounds like there's probably some good things in there to, to just help make sure that you have the strongest relationships possible. So absolutely, I am so excited to, to get my copy and start delving into it. Thank you so much, Leah. I will see you next time. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Share your wedding and engagement stories with us at morgan at yweddings.com for a chance to be a contributor on Why Weddings. This episode brought to you by Powell Weddings and Events. We treat you like family. Music provided by Tyler Olson with Musecape Studios.